Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Kind Parenting Company podcast. I'm Jackie Ward. And I'm Kylie Camps. Join us as we explore topics and share evidence-based information, all while honoring our commitment to kind parenting practices. This is a safe space for conversation and reflections on parenting and motherhood, designed to best support you in raising your little loves and to be the parent you want to be. We are so excited that you're here. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This week we have a special guest joining us and that is paediatric speech pathologist Jamie Williams. Jamie is a mother of three and through her work as a speech pathologist, she also focuses a lot on feeding support and supporting families in creating healthy food associations and calm mealtimes. I first connected with Jamie over on Instagram where I found myself constantly double tapping and loving all of the content that she shared because so much of her work um, shares, I suppose, a similar philosophy uh, or approach to that which I love. So I've invited Jamie to come in today and chat all about supporting fussy eaters. Without further ado, let me throw over and say welcome, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me, Jackie. I'm honoured to be uh, happy that you reached out and said that you'd love to have me on the podcast. And I love your work too. And I definitely see the similarities with the way that we approach family. I am a paediatric speech pathologist, as you said, and um, I'm really passionate about early intervention and bringing in feeding and communication skills uh, within that area. I really love working with families and children and their and their bigger therapy team and medical team to help them achieve things that are really important to them and things that mean a lot to them. Yeah, yeah, it's such important work. And I can actually speak to that firsthand because one of my little guys is in feeding therapy um, and we first came to that support field through our speechy as well. So this is really, you know, it's not an overstatement to say that it's life-changing work that you're doing with families. <laughs> well, I mean, we hope so. I mean, yeah, that's that's what I'm here for. So, yeah, I'm stoked that you've had that experience, Jackie, Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So today, Jamie, one thing I, I really wanted to talk about, there's many things that we could talk about together, um, but what I thought would be really valuable for the KPC community is to have a chat about fussy eaters because I feel like this is something that's pretty common and for families and parents and caregivers that find themselves with a little one who is a so-called fussy eater, it can be pretty stressful. So maybe can we kick off with talking about this idea of what a fussy eater actually is? Yes, absolutely. It is, it is so tricky for parents to navigate this space because 
when, <laughs> pun intended, when you come to the table with this, you're coming with your preconceived ideas and perhaps um, your previous relationship with food and how meal times were done when you were a child. Um, you're coming with some of the really impressionable diet fads that we've had kind of drilled to in it into us as we've grown up. Um, you're coming with navigating children that are also different with different temp temperaments, different skills. And I guess the biggest, uh, the biggest mindset that I think find, that I find really helpful with parents is this idea that kids aren't fussing and they're not, they're not trying not to eat. They eat well when they can. And what we can do is bring empathy to this idea by thinking about them as cautious eaters. And sometimes for our for our little ones that are finding it extremely hard, it's anxious eaters. So that kind of gives us that switch of language, just gives us the space to put ourselves in their shoes if we're calling them cautious or anxious. We're actually understanding what's going on for them instead of it kind of being like a blame thing. And we almost think, hey, look, I we take on that hey, can I co-regulate with you here? Can I help you here with this cautiousness or this anxiousness rather than it kind of being all about something that's going on for them that perhaps, you know, with, it, with the fussy term can almost seem like they're choosing to be that way. Yes, yes. This is so powerful. And I really think it's um, a game changer when we are supporting our kids who are having this experience. So I remember I heard you say before, kids eat well if they can. And I just want to restate that point because it is such a powerful reframe. Anyone that follows me will, I'm sure, have heard me quote uh, Ross Green, who says kids do well if they can. And when he says that, he's talking about children who are having um, behavioural struggles and yeah. the whole idea is that children intrinsically and, and naturally they want to do well but they're lacking some skills or there's some sort of um, block in their way that is preventing them from behaving or making better choices I suppose in terms of their behaviour and you know to hear you speak about that approach with feeding as I said to you off air it's really not a parallel mm. that I'd drawn but you, it's so right. Yeah. Yeah, yep, and and feeding really from the beginning, you know, from our from our breast and bottle feeding, it's it's a relationship that mm. involves the way that we're going to get we're going to get our baby's going to get calories. So yeah. it it makes it makes total sense that relationship and attachment comes you know comes in with it. Yes, yes, definitely. So this this idea of um, shifting the way we speak about it and shifting the way we talk about it, um, and sorry, and think about it from fussy being, let's just use that as a general label because that's a pretty common term that we hear out in the media and, you know, in general conversation, yep. to anxious or cautious, you know, alone just that one switch out of the term, I already can see how that would make me approach it differently as well. So yeah, absolutely. You can see yourself at, you know, a birthday party or out for dinner for, with friends and instead of, you know, them you know them saying, "Oh, you know, don't they eat that?" and mm. and you know, <laughs> your fear enters the enters the room and you you already feel worried about the situation that having your children eat around other other people, but you can, uh -huh. you know, but you just saying 
yeah, they're a little cautious, you know, they're yes. a cautious eater, you know, that can make, that can also make you feel so powerful in a situation like that as well. Definitely, definitely. And this um, idea or this priority of taking anxiety away from the, the dinner table or the party plate or wherever it is that you are, the setting is for the meal, um, I think is so integral to healthy relationships with food and feeding. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. And uh, developmentally, kids are meant to be cautious around food, um, especially, you know, it usually starts around this 14-month mark. Um, okay. And that was an evolutionary advantage because, you know, when, we, when our little ones were little and they were toddling around and they were more mobile, um, it was protective in keeping them safe from putting things in their mouth that might be poisonous. Oh, um, yeah. So this, yeah. So that caution has has been protective, you know, back in our caveman days. Um, so there is there is part of you know a, the developmental phase where they are meant to be cautious. So I think making peace with that can also empower parents, yes. and also just to let them know that it is not their job to get their child to eat. Yes, which brings me to another question, but I just wanted to um, say that actually makes so much sense because, you know, in terms of that evolutionary perspective you just shared, because so often parents will say, I don't know what happened. You know, they ate everything I put in front of them as soon as we started solids or, or food, you know, away from the milk. And then yep. something just changed when they were, you know, started walking or around that time. And when you yep. point out that this is, this is a, you know, adaptive developmentally appropriate phase in our children that actually does make so much sense light bulb moment yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now Jamie you just touched on something before you said um I'm not going to be able to quote you but you can correct me if I'm wrong so you said it's not parents job to choose to choose how much or what their children are going to eat can you rephrase reframe yeah. that for me yeah Yep. So um, this is based on Ellen Satter's work in the Division of Responsibility. And um, she has a beautiful philosophy about providing structure for mealtimes. And Jackie, we all know that kids thrive with structure. Now, this kids don't thrive with inflexibility. So this is something that you need to take on and see what you can do. There are always you know, little shifts that you will feel are right for your little one. So you never need to feel like this is a pres- like a, a prescriptive way of doing things. So the reason why um, Ellen wrote the Division of Responsibility was to help children become more intuitive um, eaters, um, for parents to be responsive to their needs, and for them to grow up with a, a developing a beautiful relationship with food and their own bodies, so it really is protective against the diet cultures that we that we have. That a lot of parents don't realize how strong those are. So a lot of parents who have had little ones that have had that have had difficulty putting on weight, there is they have this pressure to feel like they need to be in control of the calories as it goes into the child and then we also have parents that are conscious about too many too many calories and that is not neither of those are their fault 
it's not it's not their fault that either social media or things that they've read or things that people have taught told them uh, haven't helped them on their journey and just their own experiences. And we all love our parents, and they did the best they can, um, and did the best that they could. But we we do have things there that we need to work on in order to help our little ones eat as well. Definitely, because none of us are immune to, you know, societal messaging and the influence oh. of social media. Like that is that is a human experience of um, just being in the world, isn't it? That we are going to be influenced by trends and external voices as well. So yeah. when it comes to Ellen Satter's work, can you explain yep. what that actually looks like in practice? Yes. So Ellen Satter um, tells us that we decide what is being served, when it's being served and where it's being served. And the child decides if they eat any and how much they are going to eat. So we're not putting restrictions on um, how much, you know, how much they eat or what they eat. But I guess the biggest thing to bring into that is when you're serving and you're choosing what to eat, we're also being super mindful and super sensitive to their needs and we're putting something on the table that we know that they will enjoy. So this so this, this brings a bit of structure to the meal times. Um, so it allows for you to take the pressure off yourself. You've served you've served the meal, your child has a has a preferred food on a table or the food that they that they will normally eat. Um, and you get to sit down and you get to do more than just eat, which is what we want to do at the meal at meal time. You get to chat and you get to enjoy that time together. Um, you get to listen to your internal cues about when you're full, or perhaps you're not hungry at all, and that's honoured as well. So, if we know that children sometimes preload, so they eat all their calories at the beginning of the day. So when dinner time comes, they're actually not hungry. So instead of forcing them to eat and and teaching them you know no don't listen to your body I kind of know better um you need to eat this we're going okay I'm going to let you experience this and if you're saying that you're not full I'm going to give you that autonomy and I'm going to give you that control over your food and your body because this is a lifelong journey and you're going to be eating for the rest of your life. And when you're an adult, I would love for you to have a positive association with food. Oh, this is like such a breath of fresh air when it comes to to teaching, um, yeah, about this food relationship and relationship with our bodies because it's really a long game, isn't it? Like you said, we're going to be eating for our whole lives. <laughs> so yep. setting up this relationship in such a healthy and considered way I think is just magic. It's interesting though because as I hear you speak about this, I'm sure many um, of our generation will have grown up in a time where the approach to mealtimes was very different. It was, you know, eat everything on your plate. You don't leave the table until you've eaten everything on your plate. Um, And if you aren't going to eat everything on your plate, well, then there's no food later either. So that seems to be a lot of the people I speak to, that seems to be a pretty common experience. So to shift to this mindset, it, it can be a bit of work for parents. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting to pick apart why is it that you feel this way what are your fears around this are you worried that they're going to be hungry well that I get that yep that 
you don't want them to go to bed hungry, but it's an opportunity for them to learn and to feel what hunger feels like. And they might come back out and say, mommy, my belly's, you know, it's grumbling. I feel so hungry. And you think to yourself, wow, you know, I've taught them <laughs> hunger and fullness cues. This is awesome. Let's have, let's have a mid, let's have a, a bedtime snack. Um, so I, I, when I work with families, I always talk about offering a bedtime snack. So if they don't eat dinner, um, they get, they get a snack before bed and it needs to be something that they're kind of not going to hold out for, but it's going to fill their little tummies up for, for sleep. And it gives them another opportunity because sometimes Jackie, when we're at the dinner table, everything's so frazzled and <laughs> they've had a big day you know their sensory systems overloaded sometimes they can't just they just can't take it right then and there and then they have their bath and they kind of you know their body's a little bit more ready for it and you know that they feel oh actually I am hungry so um I guess here the the biggest point is it's not that your child didn't eat dinner that you need to be focused on. It's, wow, they're understanding what full and hungry is. They know that they're safe at the dinner, at the dinner table. I'm not going to force them to eat anything. We have this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Beautiful relationship with each other in the setting of mealtimes and food. Um, so they'll come to me when, when, you know, when they want more. Saying that though, you know, when you serve your the dinner time meal and you've got the the food on the table that they like, and if they say to you, "I don't want this, I want X, Y, Z," then we bring, you know, we we co-regulate with them. Oh man, I really like that too, but that's not on the menu tonight. I understand you're disappointed. Could we have that for dinner tomorrow night or the next night? I've popped something on the table that you really like. So if you're hungry, I know it, it's there for you. And then we, we, we shift back to the relationship. So we start, you know, we shift back to our conversation or, you know, perhaps we've got a little bit of music playing on in the, in the background, which can be nice and calming. Or, you know, we're, we're, jo we're joking around or maybe we're just sitting there in each other's company, enjoying each other after a day of not being together and just yeah. eating our meal. Yeah, which is amazing, I think, for families, any family that will be, you know, or be familiar with those dinnertime struggles, that idea yeah. of being able to sit there and have all of the anxiety and the emotion taken out of whether it gets eaten and how much and what, um, I think is is such a release. And it's so it's so important because it's where our focus should be. So I yep. think, you know, it's impossible to tease apart psychology and, and food. You know, they are <laughs> oh, so tightly it, entwined. Absolutely, yeah. And I know for many parents, myself included, I've been guilty of, you know, patting myself on the back when my kids eat everything, you know, that I serve and making it about me. Whereas they're like you've touched on, there are so many factors for kids you know that play into 
how they eat and pleasing their parents shouldn't be one of them. Yep, yep. And I think too, Jackie, like you said, that positive experience at meals, even if they are just eating their preferred food, if you can set up that positive experience, that will tip the balance towards change. So that will help them sit there and they will start thinking, oh, wow, you know, this is kind of nice just sitting here. I've got the food that, you know, I've got my preferred food that I like to that I like to eat. I'm going to eat a bit of that. And you know what? Oh, you know, that those peas look interesting. Oh, I might just flick them around my plate a little. And then so they're, so they're, they're slowly interacting with this food, even if it's, even it's with their eyes, if it's with their hands, and they're all steps closer to for them to have it a try but we're we're really giving them the autonomy to do this mm-hmm. incredible I love that approach so Jamie that that explanation and um, breakdown of Ellen Satter's philosophy and approach is certainly um, a huge a huge tip or idea that parents can start to integrate if they do have little ones who are more cautious or perhaps anxious around new foods are they or, any or other... just to do it anyway <laughs> Oh, just sorry. Yeah, just anyone, all families. Um, yes, please. But, but for, our, for our little ones who are perhaps anxious or cautious, are there any other tips or suggestions um, for ways that they might be able to move a little closer to exploring new foods, you know, that yep. families could do at home? Yep. So usually um, the, the responsive feeding model, so responding to their cues, um, prioritizing their autonomy, your relationship and their internal motivation is is what we try and do first. Sometimes there's some things underlying it that we need to investigate. So if you've put this in place and you're kind of not seeing, it will take a while for you to see, uh, I guess, your child relax into this new routine and a new way, this new way, these new expectations or or not even expectations, um, and you want to think about, okay, you know, can I see them enjoying mealtimes more, but is there something else going on? Are they still really worried about food? Are they still gagging? You know, are they vomiting? Um, do, they, do, they, do they look really fearful during mealtimes? Are they coughing? Have they had any choking episodes? Are they adding new foods or are they dropping them? What's their weight gain like? Um, and that would be the point where you would you would reach out to a feeding therapist. But there's lots of stuff that can be done um, in between there, Jackie. So any any way that you can act, interact with food and with them in, in a positive way is super helpful. So um, washing the veggies when you go shopping. Uh, looking through the shopping catalogue together and cutting out foods that look interesting or, you know, foods that you might want to serve at Christmas time. Um, you know, you can you can even bring some language things in there and you could sort them to, you know, to do with their colours or, you know, what you think they might taste like. Would they, would they be crunchy? Would they be salty? Um, you can get them to make little potions with food with absolutely no pressure to uh, to actually eat anything, but just anything you can do to help them interact with foods without any pressure is going to benefit them. 
Okay. I love that approach well. in terms of making it fun and, you know, stress-free. There's no anxiety yeah. around it. So making potions, I love that. I've never actually heard that before, but I imagine that would be quite a good way for children that are sensory as well and perhaps have some sensory things around um, trickiness with food. Absolutely. And it kind of feeds into that, you know, that systematic desensitization yes. where, yeah, where we're slowly introducing them to something that their bodies are telling them that this feeling is really yucky. And, you know, as adults, if we have if we have that idea that, that a feeling is really yucky, we're going to avoid it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's the same as when you go for a dip in the ocean um, and you don't like cold water. You just dip your toes in. Oh, yeah, I guess I can do, you know, I can do that. And then you get a little bit more confident. You can go up to your ankles and then you might even – um, bend down and, and get some water and rub it onto your arms because it just helps you with the process of getting into the water. So it, it's it's similar to that. So just exploring things slowly with no pressure um, is a beautiful way to help support them uh, in, in, in their relationship with food. Yeah, it makes me think, you know, again, it highlights the parallels with children generally in terms of their temperament and behaviour. There's going to be some children that would run towards that water no matter how cold it was and bomb yep. straight in there. Yep. And there naturally will be a portion who are dipping toes and sprinkling their fingers on top and getting used to it, warming up to things. And that's yep. just completely natural and, and makes so much sense when you say it that way. Yeah, and I yeah. think the biggest thing, Jackie, is um, – probably trying to take the bribing and the pressure away from food so if if you can just I understand like I I even slip up sometimes and this is this is what I live and breathe and you know <laughs> even I do it but um you know they you know they don't you don't bribe them when you're at the dinner table if you if you get if you have this you get that um because what it does is it kind of puts those sugary foods on a pedestal um they want those sugary foods more um and then they start to go hey hang on like what's the difference between these two different foods so we're tipping the balance of of like just having a good relationship with all foods um but unfortunately we have the diet culture and um i know our schools mean well and then they get to school and they hear that oh these are sometimes foods we shouldn't be having these and then and then guilt enters the room because i love these foods that i shouldn't love and yes it can get messy yeah so what are your thoughts on that because i have heard that's the language used sometimes foods always foods what would you suggest might be a better way to approach it I don't think using any descriptions for any foods. All foods, um, all foods are foods. All all foods are, are meant to be enjoyed. Um, all foods have their place in our lives. I think, yeah, I think it's I think it's about really taking the descriptors out of it. If you want to describe foods, you can describe them as crunchy. You can describe their color, but taking away any moral value around around food um is is the and it's super tricky Jackie like it's something that I constantly am working on myself um and it's really hard because my eldest has started this and he comes home and I'm trying to undo what's what's going on at school and he actually I think I've told you that he's quite anxious and 
there was one day he said I like he absolutely melted down. He was having such a hard time because I said we were going to go to the coffee shop and have a baby Chino. And I said to him, darling, like what's what's going on for you here? Like why did it, you know, why don't you want to get a baby Chino? He's like, because I've been told there's sometimes foods and I've been having them all the time. Oh, see, and he's in year one, is he now? He's in kindy. In kindy. So, yeah, the kids are so receptive to this, aren't they, from such a young age. Yeah, yeah. I just love the idea of neutralising it so that there's no, you know, moral attachment at all to certain types of foods. I think that's the healthiest way to approach. It. Yep, and that's that's what it that's what's going to help our kids our kids grow into well-rounded human beings instead yeah. of you know instead of us you know us and unfortunately what we've grown up with going oh no I should only have two pieces of chocolate and what does yes. that usually end up in we restrict <gasps> and we binge all you think about is that chocolate I know I know yep. this cycle so well so yeah. Yep. So yep, and there's no in, there's no intuitive eating there at mm. all. It's um, it's it's I've I've learnt that I need to restrict myself because I can't be trusted, and then, oh my goodness, no, I can't help myself. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a battle. So if we can, if we can give them those skills from very early on, and even if it just means they're just eating their preferred foods and slowly adding new foods in, um. The priority is this intuitive eating, this beautiful relationship between, like around food and between you and your child and slowly things should progress. If not, you need to reach out to a feeding therapist, but this is big, this is big picture stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I like what you said about the fact that even though this is your career and your life's work, that sometimes you do Mm -hmm. slip up. So I think Uh remembering um, being that remembering that the goal here is just raising our own consciousness as parents um focusing on it as a long goal but knowing that you know we are all living breathing human imperfect humans and there's going to be times where it doesn't go as planned and that's okay absolutely jackie and yeah look if we can if we can try and if we can just try and do what i'm talking about you know 80 percent of the time would be amazing you know we were not looking for perfection um we're not looking we're not looking for you to you know die by your by your sword if you're you know if you've got dinner served and your child makes you know a reasonable request like can I put some grapes on the table and it's like you know once a week they kind of say something like that then you don't need to go oh no you know we're not we're not doing that we're sticking to this protocol you know you you your intuition as a parent will come into it as well but it's a beautiful it's a beautiful philosophy it's a beautiful foundation for you to feel your way way through yes yes makes a lot of sense so jamie something um that i ask all of our podcast guests is if you can share with us um if there's been a book that's had a huge impact on you now it can be related to your career or not just anything at all is there a book like that that's really change the way you think or see things yeah I had a good think about this Jackie I really liked this as a question and I'd have to say the circle of security because it has it's shaped so many different parts of my life it's shaped me as a person reflecting on my um, childhood it's shaped me as a parent and it shapes me as a therapist 
so it's like it's it's yeah it's change across all levels for me yeah goosebumps yeah. so for those who I, I love this as well I'm actually booked in to do my circle of security training next year which oh, is something I've wanted to do forever yeah, but for those wonderful. who aren't familiar can you maybe just you know give us the nutshell version of what this this book is yeah so Cir- circle of security is an attachment-based um intervention um and it's understanding i guess i guess children and how and how they how they need us and how we're their safe place how we can help them explore their world and um and how we how, yeah i guess how we can support them to grow and experience emotion um, and be for them and the same kind of thing with the feeding to grow into you know well-rounded human beings yeah yeah I love it I'll be sure to link to that and actually all of the wonderful things you've suggested Ellen Satter um, and the other resources I'll link them in the show notes so if anyone didn't catch it as we're being talking or you're out and about um, you'll be able to click through and access them all there and actually on that note Jamie where can people find you to follow more of your work <laughs> so I'm ju- I'm just on Instagram at the moment at nourish.babes and eventually there will be a website that's <laughs> on the to-do list. But yeah, you you can you can come and join me there and um yes, that's where you'll find me. Amazing, amazing. There's so much helpful content I know shared through your page there as well. So Jamie, thank you so much for carving out time today while you're on maternity leave, I might add, um, to have <laughs> this welcome. conversation with me today. I know it's been so helpful, so I'm sure many others will enjoy it as well. Thanks so Thanks much. Thanks so much, Jackie. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for joining me and listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this content and are looking to dive deeper into the support that the Kind Parenting Company offers parents and caregivers, you will love the range of programs we have available. The range includes online programs for supporting baby and toddler sleep, most suitable for babies aged 0 to 24 months, and also Toddler Life, which is a guide for those raising children aged 2 to 4 years. Each program comes with access to video and audio files, as well as the opportunity to join the community forums. Podcast listeners receive 20% off all programs. Simply visit the Kind Parenting Company website and use the code KPCPODCAST20, that's KPCPODCAST20, at checkout. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.